Father, as we uh, come now to your word, we just said that we believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, and um, one of the wonderful things, one of the just wonderful things uh, about who you are is that you, you don't just issue commands saying, hey, shape up. Uh, but you also actually come into our lives, into our desires. You you reorder everything that's inside us, so that so that we desire what's good. And we ask that you would do that. Um, that as we pray that you would sharpen our minds, uh, give us clarity of thought, but that you would be working. Uh, down in our lives, our minds, our hearts, our subconscious, deeper than we are aware of. Uh, to change us. We want to be transformed. And you know the transformation needed, so please do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, and uh, it would be helpful if you would uh, turn back in your service sheets to page 9. We're going to be looking at uh, just a, a few verses in that first reading. So the little numbers are the verses. Uh, and um, if you, we're going to be looking at verses 12 uh, through 14. So the first half of that second big paragraph. <clears throat> um, last, last Monday, everybody knows, was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And um, one of the things that ideally, don't always do this, but ideally uh, around that time, I, I like to um, listen to some of his talks and some of his speeches and sermons. And on Saturday beforehand, I listened to one called uh, The Drum Major Instinct, which is a, a longer sermon of his. And then on Monday, I, I listened to the I Have a Dream speech. Um, I hope you had time to do something like that. And <clears throat> just like I am, every time I listen to him, I'm struck by how compelling he is. And he's compelling for a lot of reasons. He's compelling in his just his mastery of, of with the words. Um, but it's more than that. Uh, he's he's personally compelling. Uh, in one of the talks, he was talking about how uh, when he was in jail, he tries to make a pra he tried to make a practice of uh, of talking to his jailers, his 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 guards. And he said he goes, I always try to do a little converting when I'm in jail, um, which I loved. And he talks about how he would he would try to take a, a personal interest in the lives of these men who hold held the keys to the door. And, and so he's he was remarkably kind, um, but, but there was a compelling kind of kindness. It's not politeness, it's something deeper. And uh, I'm always struck by how, you know, he got the Nobel Peace Prize, but he didn't really want that mentioned much. And he was humble, but not a weak kind of humility. I mean, a really compelling kind of humility. And it seems to me that the thing that always strikes me most is his capacity to forgive. Um, every time I hear him address uh, um, white America, frankly, um, there's always so much forgiveness in the midst of what he says. And it's compelling because for years I have listened to those moments in his speeches and in his sermons, and I've always found it very personal and very moving to me. He's remarkably forgiving. So this week I was thinking about that. It was on the mind. And I was reading our verses for today, verses 12 through 14. And all of a sudden I realized, I realized the reason, or one of the big reasons why Martin Luther King Jr. is so compelling is that he lived, verses 12 through 14, what we're going to talk about right now. And then I realized that the message for today 
is simply that we as a church, corporately, together, we are to take upon ourselves this compelling, profound character. It's a character that's, it's not that we are to be compelling so much in our rhetoric. It's not so much that we're supposed to be compelling in our words, but we are to be compelling in our character. We are to have a character together as a community that reflects the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying today in verses 12 through 14. He's saying, Emmanuel, I mean, he's saying Colossian church, but, you know, we'll make the adjustment. Emmanuel, your job is to put on the character of Jesus. And it's a character that is provocative. It's a character that is the opposite of safe. It is the opposite of sentimental. If we put on this character that he describes in those verses, then it led Jesus to Calvary, and it will lead us to all kinds of uncomfortable places. But it is also beautiful, and it is also compelling, and it is the thing that we're called to. And so our job for the next few minutes is to work on what that looks like. Take a look at verse 12. Let's get into it. Paul writes this, put on then, here's what we're supposed to put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, here it is, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, um, keep those verses in front of you. Um, Paul uses the image of a uniform. He says you, you need to put on some clothes. And uh, th think about the concept of uniform for a few minutes. Um, uniforms are kind of the opposite of fashion. Right? So fashion uh, says, I think, and it's, some of you guys like know what you're talking about with this stuff, so tell me later if I'm totally wrong. But anyways, fashion is, um, I, I'm going to put on clothes that, that in one way or another express my individual identity. I, I'm, I'm telling the world who I am and who I conceive myself to be by putting on a particular set of clothes or, or presenting myself in a manner. Uniforms do something of the opposite of that. What it does is is a uniform says, um, I am clothing myself with an identity that's bigger than my individual person. So for instance, in a few weeks, there's going to be the Olympics. Uh, the, there's going to be an Olympic uniform. And when those Americans and everybody else puts on the uniform of their nation, they're putting on an identity that's bigger than they are. They're saying, I'm representing my country. I'm representing America. And so a uh, uniform points to an identity that's bigger than we are. All right, keep that in mind. Bring it back to uh, verse 12. Paul says, so to, so to speak, put on the Christian uniform. He says, uh, Christians are supposed, that we're not supposed to be known for our funny clothes. A few of us do wear funny clothes, but that's the exception. The, the point is not that we're supposed to be known by our funny, actually, this is a uniform. Right? It points to a role. I'm not supposed to stand up here and just tell you Jim's view on stuff. I'm supposed to represent Jesus as he presents himself in Scripture as clearly as I possibly can. That's why I wear a uniform. Anyways, but 
as Christians, we are all to put a uniform on, but it's not the uniform that's outward. It's a uniform that a uniform that's inward. The Christian uniform is supposed to be an inner character that resembles Jesus. The way we put it in our vision statement is that we want to reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ. Now, take a look at verse 12, and, and let's look at the different parts of the uniform. There's five components to the Christian uniform. I want to go through each of them, and I want to ask you this question. When you look at the Christian uniform, does it look strong or weak? Verse 12. Uh, put on, then, and then here's the first part of the uniform. First one is compassionate hearts. Uh, now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about the word compassionate hearts. Um, it sounds a little nice and tame. Um, it sounds a little bit like grandma or something like that, um, depending on who your grandma is, I suppose. But um, the original is more graphic, right? So the original, um, uh, the best way that, that I know to describe it is that it is to be gut mercy, that your guts seize up when you see need. Uh, the old, the first uh, English translations, um, you can ask Bruce about this, uh, call, use the word, the bowels of mercy. So I'll just let you one, just play with that one. Um, but, but it's the way that Jesus' compassion is described all over the place. So if you read through the Gospels, what happens is Jesus sees need, and he's motivated not primarily by duty. He doesn't say like, oh dear, I'm really supposed to engage with need. There's something more visceral. He sees something happen, and it's like his guts seize up with mercy. It's part of the Christian uniform. Does it sound strong? Or does it sound weak? The next one, kindness. This is another word that sounds kind of pleasant, quaint, but it's gritty. Throughout the scriptures, um, this is the word that's used to describe the character of God when he engages with people who hate him, and he treats them in such a way that their hard hearts begin to melt and soften and open up. And then all of a sudden they become responsive. Um, uh, Romans says it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness is the way he engages with people who hate him. It's part of the Christian uniform. Does it sound strong or does it sound weak? Next three a little bit quicker. Humility. Humility in the ancient world, this word was... Uh, a derogatory term. It was a derogatory term for somebody who had surrendered to their weakness. It was, it was wimps. Wimps. But Jesus takes it and he just flips it on its head. He goes, no, 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 no. Actually, apparent weakness is going to be my path to victory. The cross. The humility of taking upon himself the nature of a servant and becoming obedient to the point of death, death upon the cross, precisely because he knew that the cross, apparent weakness, was his path to true power, to true glory, to true victory. That's part of the Christian uh, uniform. Does it sound weak or does it sound strong? And then the last one is patience. Which, once again, it, it, it's, it's more than just being good at waiting, right? When I tell my kids to be patient, that's usually what I mean. 
This means the restraint necessary to when you when you're offended by somebody, the restraint necessary to pause so that you can be targeted in showing kindness. I skipped one, didn't I? Meekness. Meekness here is the ability to take your natural sense of self-importance and set it aside so that you can engage with people and love them well. Now, back up and look at the whole picture. Does the Christian uniform look weak or does it look strong? Um, gut mercy. Kindness towards enemies, humble service, um, setting aside our self-importance so that we can love well, um, restraint in the face of offense so that we have the opportunity to, to respond in kindness. Does it sound strong or does it sound weak? Now, Jim, why are you talking about strength and weakness and all this kind of stuff? You're going on and on about it. Here's why. I want to be careful with what I'm about ready to say. And if anything I'm about ready to say troubles you, as ever, please come and talk to me. Our nation is in the middle of a conversation. And it sounds a lot like a shouting match to me. And there's all kinds of extremely important issues rico ricocheting around. But underneath the anger, it seems to me that there are deeper, profound questions going on. What does it mean to be strong? What does it mean to have power and to use it well? What does it mean to be in control? What do we do when we are faced with evil? And it's scary, and Stephen Neal says that fear makes people cruel. And it seems to me that in our fear, um, we are beginning to resort to the idea that strength is, looks like self-assertion, and that control is expressed through self-protection, defensiveness. Don't you dare cross that line. Um, that power is expressed through sharp words that are meant to wound. And all of that together appears to me that our national uniform is increasingly looking like battle armor. And I don't think I need to illustrate any of that. But that's why I ask, when you look at the Christian uniform, the uniform of Jesus, does it look strong or does it look weak? The reason that's so important is that if we look at the uniform of Jesus and we look at it and we say, it doesn't work in the real world, it's great on a page, it's great rhetoric, pastor, but it doesn't work in the real world. It doesn't work to be humble, it doesn't work to be kind, it doesn't work to do any of that. If that's, we're never going to say it that way. Nobody's ever going to say that to me, right? But if that's what comes to our souls when we look at this, then without even thinking about it, without even knowing it'll happen, we will begin to default towards the battle armor that is around us. 
And I'm concerned that we will begin to harden. And friends, if that happens, we will become a toxic church. Why do I say that? Because a church that prefers battle armor to Jesus' uniform is a church that no longer learned, knows how to love. Look at verse 14. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The uniform of Jesus is a uniform of love. And all the parts that I was just talking about, all those five elements are merely expressions of love when it, what love looks like when it engages the world around us. They're expressions of Jesus's love. And therefore, if we think that strength is primarily through self-protection or self-assertion, or then what ends up happening is we will reject the love of Jesus Christ. We will end up being a loveless church. And I'm concerned that the temptation that faces us now is that Christians can speak the name of Jesus but refuse to put him on. We can speak the rhetoric of Jesus, but we refuse his character. And if we reject the love, if we reject, if we reject that, then we reject the badge of authenticity and we will be smoke in the nostrils of God. And I say it strongly that we might open our eyes. What does strength look like to you? Oh, how do I know, Jim? How do I know? I don't know. Theoretically, it sounds fine. Well, here's how you know. And this is going to get hard. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the test. Look at verse 13. Put on this uniform, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here's the tough part. Forgiveness is what love looks like in a broken world like ours. Forgiveness is the test of whether or not we are putting on the uniform of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because in order to forgive Christianly, you've got to use all the uniform. <laughs> it takes kindness to forgive. It takes humility to forgive. It takes meekness because you got to take your self-importance and put it aside for a second. It takes patience. You got to breathe before you say the thing you need to say instead of the thing you want to say. John Perkins, some of you may know that name, uh, is a Christian pastor and theologian. He's an author, activist. In the 1960s, he pastored a little congregation in Mississippi, um, majority African-American congregation. And during that time, he became a civil rights activist. And uh, one day, uh, because of his activism, he was put in jail. And uh, he tells the story uh, of how the guards tortured him there. And it's gruesome. It's, it's unspeakable horror. And it went on and on and on, and they came in and out of consciousness, and I, I don't even think I want to say some of the specifics of what they did to him. But he writes this. He says, they were like savages, like some horror out of the night. I can't forget their faces. They were twisted with hate. Hate did that to them. 
But you know, I couldn't hate back. I could only pity them. I didn't ever want hate to do to me what it had already done to those men. Now pause there and just for a moment, breathe and consider how utterly bizarre that is. Utterly bizarre. Why, if anybody had a reason to hate those men in that moment, John Perkins did. And yet, in the midst of the abuse, his guts seized up, not just with the torture, but also with pity. Why? And we must be careful here because Christian forgiveness, don't ever imagine that Christian forgiveness is giving in. John Perkins wasn't giving in. It, Christian forgiveness is not appeasement. It never is. It took the cross to purchase it. But Christian forgiveness is also not the other obvious alternative. It's not returning hate for hate. And the only way I think we can understand Christian forgiveness is to call it a miracle. There is nothing natural about loving an enemy. It takes a miracle. In fact, the whole Christian uniform is a supernatural gift of Jesus. He has to impart his character to us. Otherwise, it's impossible. Don't try to just muster up a little humility. You'll be proud of yourself. It's got to come from Jesus. Look at verse 13. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, that implies an obligation. If you've received the forgiveness of Jesus, you must, by obligation, forgive others. But it also implies power. You must receive a new identity that you do not deserve. You must be forgiven in order for you to forgive. Everything's rooted in a given, gifted identity. Um, it, it, a uniform, remember uniform, an Olympian can only put on the uniform when they, when they are an Olympian. You've got to receive the identity before you put on the uniform. Same thing is true of Christian uniform. And that's why, verse 12, Paul mentions our identity that Jesus gives us as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved. That's the uniform that we do not earn that we receive through the cross of Christ. And it's that identity, as that identity is deeply received in you, that then motivates you, empowers you to love those whom you have good reason to hate. John Perkins, when he got out, uh, was recovering in bed. And um, he was battling the temptation to hate. Uh, it it's not natural to love your enemy. And he, he writes this. The Spirit of God worked on me as I lay recovering in my bed. An image formed in my mind, the image of the cross, the image of Christ on the cross. It blotted out everything else from my mind. This Jesus knew what I had suffered. He understood and he cared because he had experienced all of it himself. This Jesus, the one who brought good news directly from God in heaven, had practiced what he preached. Yet he was arrested and falsely accused. Like me, he went through an unjust trial. He also faced a lynch mob and got beaten. 
But even more than that, he was nailed to a rough wooden cross, killed like a common criminal. But when he looked out at the mob that had lynched him, he did not hate them. He loved them. He forgave them. His enemies hated, but Jesus forgave. I couldn't get away from that. The Spirit of God kept working on me until I could say, I forgive them too. He gave me the love that I knew I would need in order to fulfill the command, love your enemy. Because of Jesus Christ, God himself met me. He healed my heart and my mind with his love. It's a profound and a mysterious truth. Jesus' concept of love overpowering hate, I may not see its victory in my own life, but I know it's true. I might not see it play out fully in my lifetime, but I know it's true because it happened to me. On that bed, full of bruises and stitches, God made it true in me. He washed my hatred away and replaced it with love for the white man in rural Mississippi. That's putting on the Christian uniform. That's real Christianity. And I know that some of us here are, are still trying to figure out, is Jesus a good person to follow? And you may, you're not a Christian yet. And, and to you, I would say, do, do you know a better uniform to wear? And I know that there's others of us who are, who are Christians, but then on the other hand, you kind of say, but I, I want to be, I know it's true because it happened to me kind of Christian. Maybe it feels a little different. And then some of us have tasted something of that reality, but you want more. Let me point something out. In a remarkable way, we put on the uniform of Jesus by asking the Spirit to work in us. That, that's what John Perkins talks about. He repeats it. The Spirit of God worked on me. And that's what we need to do, Emmanuel. That needs to be our prayer. That needs to be our breath. We need to breathe in Holy Spirit, put Jesus' character in me. Jesus, Holy Spirit, work in me until I can say, Jesus Christ, I trust you. Holy Spirit, work in me until we find our guts seizing up with compassion towards people with whom we have no personal relationship yet. Holy Spirit, work in us until kindness becomes our primary compelling beauty. Holy Spirit, work on us until we can become instruments of God's persistent love, until the world can look at us and say, I see something of the beauty of Jesus in that church. And then we'll have a uniform on. Amen.